Welcome to the Go All In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bryce, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes from Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Mark Robinson from the International Academy of Wealth. Before we settle into the show today, if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the Go All In Podcast. I know that you're going to love Mark's story of doing whatever it takes to break through and to succeed. And if you're a return listener, welcome back to the Go All In Podcast. It's great to have you here and I appreciate you tuning in again. Make sure you just peek at your phone quickly and hit that subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on right now. That way you'll never miss an episode and you'll always have some inspiration right in your pocket every couple of days. And if you're watching this video on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button as well and hit the bell while you're there. That way you'll never miss an episode as they come out on video as well. Now, one last thing, if you like what you hear today, please, please share this with your friends and your family. Uh, We don't have sponsors on the show here. I don't make any money here out of the Go All In podcast, but what I do ask is that you share this. Mark has a great story that needs to be heard, and if we can help just one person break through their barriers like Mark did, then that can only be a good thing. So make sure you share this episode far and wide if you like what you hear today. All righty, let's get into the show. Did you know that most Australians only have one or two forms of income that they rely on, either a job or a business, and perhaps a handful of investments? Our guest today is an expert in helping everyday people to create multiple streams of income and helping them to solidify their wealth well into the future. Taking stock of where you are financially and understanding what it is and where it is that you want to go financially are at the very core of Mark's philosophy in wealth creation. He believes in simple plans and starting right now with exactly what you have, regardless of the debt that you do or you don't have. Don't let the start stop you. Take control of your finances and your future and begin with what you have today. In 12 months time, you'll be glad that you did. And that's a whole lot better than looking back and wishing that you started 12 months ago. Mark and his team at the International Academy of Wealth will help you to understand your goals, define what's important, and to accelerate your financial independence. Mark has a a pretty cool go-all-in story of committing and doing whatever it takes to put a roof over your family's head. He hit rock bottom and laughed about it because he knew when he was at the bottom, there was only one way that he could go. And When you hear Mark's story, I'm sure you'll be absolutely inspired by what it is that he did to break through and his commitment to redouble his efforts and to go ahead and succeed financially. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Mark Robinson. Mark Robinson, welcome to the Go All In podcast. It's great to have you here, mate. Same. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Or I'm super excited to uh, to do this interview with you because you've got some really, really great stuff and most Australians and maybe people listening around the world only have one or two or maybe three streams of revenue that they rely on in their life. And I'm looking forward to learning more about your business. But before we get into all of that passive income and how we can own the world and build an empire, let's get to know you a little bit. Where, tell, the, uh, tell the listeners, whereabouts are you from, mate? Look, I'm actually from a little town called Waiuku in New Zealand. And, uh, you know, I grew up there where we had like one income family for a number of years. So I think it was about the age of 10 when I knew what steak was, <laughs> you know, so I, I had, uh, you know, my, both my parents, their mum started work again and they were both shift workers. So I learned early on that, you know, trading money for time is actually, you're away from your family a lot. And my parents did extremely well considering that they weren't always home. Mm. And, uh, you know, a big lesson from back there was the fact that, you know, dad, I feel as though dad gave up his time so I could have mine. And I thought the best thing I can do is make the most of that. Mm. Beautiful. And when did you come to Australia? Uh, I've been here now uh, um, this year. In fact, I think early next year will be where I've lived in Australia longer than living in New Zealand. So I came over here just shy of 25. And, uh, yeah, just, um, mate, I just thought, you know what, it's time to, to explore the world. I had a really good friend living over here. And I lived in Townsville, uh, to the north, you know, was my first oh, experience. North, mate, and, and an incredible, incredible wake up to everything Australia. Let yeah, me that's say. about as, uh, rigid, dig, dig, <laughs> guys, it gets, uh, Townsville. Good, uh, good army town, right? 
Oh, it, it is a great army town, you know, like in New, when I left New Zealand, you know, pubs and clubs closed at midnight, you know, and, and nightclubs up there were five o'clock in the morning. I remember <laughs> that I was just, it was interesting. <laughs> Do you ever go back to your hometown in New Zealand? Look, I was there a, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, recently? Um, okay. Yeah, uh, on a family matter. Dad isn't that well at the moment, so popped back there and I happened to, uh, yeah, be there when the Wallabies flogged uh, New Zealand 47, <laughs> 22 or something. So it was, uh, yeah, I go back as much as I can for sure. I was going to say that was that was actually my next question for the Kiwi National there was do you, you get to play both sides of the rugby spectrum there. Is your heart still with the All Blacks or are you barracking for the Wallabies? Look, Which, it's sorry for only when they play the All Blacks, right? Yeah. And and again, it comes down to that you, you know you're it's such a big part of our our life. Mm. You know, Dad used to rip me out of bed whether I wanted to or not at three o'clock in the morning to watch the All Blacks play Wales or England or whatever it may be. And, and that's some of the, my best memories of you know growing up with Dad. So yet you'll never, I'll never, but I, I enjoy a good game if that makes sense. You know, as long as it's good. And I've caught myself a couple of times going, go, 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 and then realizing it's the Wallabies. And I'm going, hey, stop, hang on. But if they're playing South Africa, they're playing anyone else other than the All Blacks made on, I've actually got a yellow jumper. Like I have a Wallabies jumper. Okay, that's <laughs> that's on the public record now, and we're going to pass that around to all your Kiwi friends. So Absolutely. So we know. For the people that are not from Australia or from New Zealand, the rugby culture is endemic it's very very close to us that's why i'm asking those questions all right let's move on from there tell us a little bit about your your background mate what have you been doing in your life did you have a corporate job have you always worked for yourself look i've uh, feels like i pretty much have worked for myself i did work for a, a big four so one of the major financial institutions when i first left school and interesting enough i left that and worked for uh, a company that's no longer around a company called agc Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a credit and I was in their credit department and in, in, uh, in a place uh, what they call factoring you know so invoices and stuff so I've seen both parts of all that and then as I was chatting to you uh, a couple of weeks ago you know I was actually a repo man for the last three years of my life in New Zealand <laughs> so I had to go knock on doors and say hey you haven't paid for your TV could I have it please so that was a really interesting like there's a podcast in its own uh, you know that that whole thing and and so when I moved to Australia and I met my amazing wife. It was Billy that actually brought us into being self-employed. I went into real estate and uh, I just, you know, I got into, uh, I had a really good friendship with a mortgage broker and, and, you know, mortgage brokers in Australia, they get paid uh, an upfront and also an ongoing commission, right? For for the life of the loan. And that's, that was my first foray into passive income. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was having to sell, you know, real estate every, every month to, to make a living and, and, you know, whereas my mortgage broker friend, he, he only had to write the loan sort of once and kept getting paid and just piqued my curiosity as to, you know, what else is out in, in the world. And it was a, it was a great experience. Was it real estate or mortgage broking that was your first experience, like that kind of got you into it? People hate using the, the you know, and, and there's this massive stigma around it. But of all things, it was Amway, right? Network right marketing. back, you know, network marketing and, 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 you know, the biggest thing I got out of network marketing was the fact that things, you know, there is no such true thing about passive income, mm. right, without a doubt. But the education that I got from, you know, knocking on doors in real estate and, and losing friends with Amway, you know, it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was that part that I went, hang on a minute, what else is out there that I enjoy that's going to allow me to help more people in a, you know, in, in my background, which is all in finance. So, you know, we, we built, uh, my wife felt pregnant and we, we moved from Townsville closer to the, the babysitters, sorry, grandparents. And, um, you know, we, we, <laughs> actually, that slipped in there. <laughs> you know, and I, I actually thought, Hey, you know what? I've been in real estate for, you know, a number of years now. That's, and that is pretty much self-employed because you don't get paid yep. if you don't get out of bed. And I thought I'd better go get a, a real job. So I actually went and worked for uh, Suncorp for six weeks as a financial advisor. <laughs> right? For they, six weeks. Well, four of it was training and two weeks in a branch. And I'll tell you what, they were they were ruthless. You know, yeah. I, I had to turn up by 8.30 and I couldn't leave till 5. And, you know, when, you, when you've been pretty much self-employed from, you know, in the repossession field, Right through, and, and then real estate having to turn up somewhere every day, it actually it killed me. 
Mm. And that was the last time I've ever had an actual job. And that was what I think at the age of 30 and mm. it lasted six weeks, you know? <laughs> well, well, I think that sets us up beautifully because it gives us a little bit of background and a bit of context to the, to the go all in story that you're about to tell us. So let's dive in there. And Mark, people come on over to the go all in podcast and they watch this show to find out more about others that have gone all in. So if you could mate, could you please share with us your biggest go all in story or stories? and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Yeah, so the, the big all-in one would have been that, you know what, I, um, I knew I couldn't be an employee anymore, right? It's, it was that was simple. So a mate of mine was setting up a mortgage-broking business on the Sunshine Coast, just north of Brisbane, and I went, you know what, let's do it. We had no, no family up there, no friends, and, you know, bar this, this one guy that I, I like, sort of knew, you know? And so I went up there as, an, as a, uh, a contractor, and it was interesting because, you know, we had, um, I was up there for six months. We, we were helping build the business and then he just left. He up and left. So I had the opportunity to buy his shares. I knew nothing about, you know, real companies and, and, and owning businesses. I think there's a big difference between sort of being a one man show to now having a, a staff in an office and what have you. So, you know, we went all in. We went, you know what, this is it. We paid the ridiculous amount of money oh, that they wanted for those shares because we didn't know any better, right? Mm. And at that time, my, my youngest was, uh, was, was two years old and Billy was pregnant with our second one. And, uh, you know, I just, I never forget it because the, we were at Woolworths getting the family groceries and my cards got declined, like all of them. My, our, I think we had three or four credit cards at the time. They were all maxed out. You know, we were just trying to build this business. We knew that there was there was so much potential there, and we had to leave. Like I felt that I couldn't feed my family. Mm. You know, and and it was oh look, I I remember having this big smile on my face when I left Woolworths, and and Billy goes, Mark, why are you smiling? And I, was, that's not I, funny. <laughs> oh man, I mean, like you know, like we had a two-year-old wife's pregnant hormonal as you know, like just everything. It's not funny to her at all. Mm. And, I, and I just remember looking at her and say, babe, you know, look, we're at the bottom. There's nowhere else to go. You know, we're, I know we're nearly there. And I've seen people quit, you know, that old story about three feet from gold. And we were. We knew the business was, was just about to take off. We knew that we were about to get paid for some uh, loans in, in next week and whatever. So we, made, we just made it work. And literally it turned around. Like we knew, you know, we started getting regular incomes. Our marketing took off. We started hiring more more staff, and you know, within within that twelve months, we were we we paid off our credit cards. We had done, you know, we had everything that we should have, and we started to expand. And we ended up building six companies in four short years. Wow! You know, we 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 hired a, a good mortgage broker who became a business partner. Um, he then ran the mortgage broking. I went into the financial planning arm. We then had a property arm. We uh, did a joint venture with a um, normal, like an insurance broker. And then we set up our accounting practice at the end. And when you're right there at rock bottom, were you all in then or did you realize that that was the all in? Probably realized that was the all in because if you look about, look, think about it, I was, I was all in when we moved to the Sunshine Coast. Mm. You know, we had, we, I, I left a, a good paying job, right, with Suncorp. They, they paid extremely well. And in fact, the funny thing is, to finish off the Suncorp story, there's one piece of paper in Suncorp that if you don't fill in, they keep paying you. Oh, I got a statement nine months later, and there was literally nine months worth of um, salary sitting in the in the in my bank account with Suncorp. <laughs> Give it back? I, I absolutely gave it back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the only bonus I got was because they were also paying my superannuation, which they legally couldn't take out. Yeah, they can't take that back off again. Though. <clears throat> so I got a bonus there, but no, I, I handed it back. It was hilarious. <laughs> but that was the moment I knew I was all in. You know, I, I went, you know what? I'm going to give this a good red go. Mm, mm. And the one thing I didn't share was when I was in real estate, right? I, I thought I was all in. And uh, what happened was I did all the hard work I got. And for nine months, I was all in. But then I quit, right? Wow. And I went and got a, another sales job. And I think that ties back into when I was, you know, finally all in is the fact that a month after quitting real estate, I started getting all these phone calls. Hey, Mark, I'm ready to sell my house. Mark, I'm ready to sell my house. Mark, I'm ready to sell my house. So I went, man, quit too soon, you know, like jump straight back into real estate. And, um, you know, and that's, that was a big turning point and a big lesson to go, 
hey, you're either all in or you're all in. Yeah, that's probably the biggest lesson that I have from from my early entrepreneurial career would be to stick with things just a little bit longer um, because it's painful when it's not working and it's painful in the building process. But if you could just hold on just a little bit longer, you are, like you're, you are literally almost there. It's like there's no obstacles there. You've just got to wait a little bit longer to get there. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to wait. Yeah, it, look, it really is. And it feels like that with our business, you know, like um, our, our current one, we made a decision not to take everybody with a credit card and a pulse, mm. right? And I've seen so many, you know, um, wealth creation and, and, and experts do that, you know, hey, as long as you give me your credit card, I can help you. Mm. Right? That's, that's rubbish, you know, it, it really is. So we, we've really designed it in a way that is, it's an application process, mm. you know, and that's been quite detrimental to our bank account occasionally, you know, from a yeah. personal perspective, you know, but it's about that integrity and going, well, you know what? We've decided to be all in in this business and help people. And it's starting to pay off now. You know, mm-hmm. we've got helping people, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly, but helping amazing people. We've got incredible partners now in Japan, talking with people in New Zealand about expanding, you know, into be a, a true international company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exciting, exciting times ahead. Before we move off this story, because you kind of went through it pretty quickly, but I just wanted to pull on that Woolies thread just one little last time. Take me back. I don't know if you can remember clearly because your body doesn't remember pain and you know it hurt when you broke your arm, but I can't really tell you what it felt like when I broke my arm. But emotionally, I do know what that felt like. And emotionally, you know, financial problems can be very, very painful. Take me back. What was it like lying in bed, realizing you're at the bottom? Did, did you get a good night's sleep or did these things keep you up at night? I've never really, for me personally, I've never really been kept up at night by anything other than like maybe some bad dreams here and there and yeah. a bit of PTSD, bad dreams type stuff. But not, I've never really, irrespective of my finances being good or bad or indifferent, I've never lied there and gone, oh my God, I'm going to die because my finances are, are, are terrible. But I do know that some people, you know, just can't sleep because they're so worried about things. Were you worried about stuff or were you like, well, you know, this is where we're at. I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to dig my way. I'm just going to dig like a motherfucker. Yeah. Look, I, I, I don't think I was worried so much about that because the, you know, being self-employed now for, you know, that's getting close to 10 years, mm. right? You, you, you sort of always know that if you don't get out of bed, you don't make money, you don't feed the family. Mm. Where the little bit of pain for me was, was that, that, that feeling that I'd failed as a, as a man, you know, that, you know, we've, we've had that responsibility that we've got to feed the family. We've got to put roof over our head. And I felt like I'd failed as a father and, and as a husband. And it was like, you know, I can feel the tears pulling in now. It's like, that was probably the big pain for me. You know, I, I knew that we had, you know, uh, and, and, you know, my, my two daughters at the time, you know, cause I knew that the, the second one was going to be a, a girl as well. And yeah, just that was probably the pain point for me. You know, if, if, if that's the, what we're sharing there, I think, you know, we've got a, what, what I learned from that was, you know, us as, as men, we can, we don't share enough, you know, like, uh, my girls have seen me cry, you know, and I've never seen my dad cry, you know, it was, it was tough enough, son, you know, like, yeah. so, so we've gone through that change of being able to go, guys, just, just let it out because if you, the more you share, the more you'll find that people can help and, and just sharing just alleviates that burden or that perceived burden that people think it is, you know, but having, you know, finances is, it's one of those areas where, that people don't want to talk about it because they might feel embarrassed or, or ashamed or whatever it may be. And there's simple ways to get through that. You know, it really is a lot easier than what these, the, you know, people make it out to be. Yeah. It's, I, I guess we live in a, a day, a modern day age where there's so much damn information that you can be paralyzed by all of the information that's there. And, and thank you, by the way, for sharing that. That's a very kind of touching sort of moment there. I know for me, I've for finances and, and financially, I feel like sometimes I put my family in a position that she didn't buy into that. My kids don't deserve that. They deserve, they deserve a holiday. They deserve this. They deserve that. But I also know at the same time that my missus is on board with me and she's completely, she's like, it's, it's all good. I know things aren't as good as 
what they could be at certain times in our relationship, at certain times in our lives. And things have been also really good as well by the same token. So we've kind of ridden the wave of ups and downs and peaks and troughs. And more recently, we're more of on an upward trajectory where money doesn't seem to be the problem so much anymore. It's more about time. And business is so busy, it's sort of like, well, you know, you end up, it's the ultimate dichotomy, right? You have all the, you have good cash flow in your business, you have good revenue, but you've got no time to enjoy it. Or it's the other way around, you've got all the time to build your business, but you've got no cash flow in your business to keep it going. So there's a bit of a balance there. And I call it being stuck in second gear in business, where I'm just kind of doing all the busy work and you've got to build a little bit of capital there, put some money away in storage where you can actually go, all right, now I'm time ready to hire people. And once I'm hiring these people, those people can kind of take alleviate some of the day-to-day activities from me. It frees up my time to go and concentrate on sales and keep expanding and growing and pushing forward. And I know for me personally, when things have been a little bit down, it forced me to sort of look back at my plan. And I'm, I'm always, I'm about a plan. I love to have a plan. I'm not a huge goal setter. I have intention of going somewhere, but not necessarily, you know, the crystal clear targets that I'm, I'm hitting. The intention is to get to this point, get to the next point, and then kind of incrementally move forward. And it's a form of goal setting. But when it's been, when the chips are down, it forces me to redouble my efforts and reassess my plan to kind of make sure I've got enough like that to enough leverage and enough leeway to keep moving forward. Tell me, as you, as you work with people and their finances, what do you see when they're kind of down and out? They're at the bottom, so to speak, or they're starting they're ready to go. They're ready to start. Do they have plans? Do you, how do you help them formulate a plan? Yeah, look, we've always believed in keeping everything simple, right? That, that good old KISS principle. And by doing that, I mean, <clears throat> what we find is most people just don't have a plan, mm. right? Or they have these goals and they go, you know, I want to travel twice a year. I want to go overseas. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I, I effectively just ask them, you know, one question. I just go, that's fine. How are you going to pay for that? Right. So most goals, in fact, you know, I believe we're probably one of the only companies that actually make you or, or give you the tool to go, like, let's define that from a financial perspective. Cause even when people go, Oh, I want to travel overseas. We go, great. How are you traveling? Are you going via Tiger Air or are we going Emirates? <laughs> you know, and, and then, please Emirates, please. <laughs> You know, and, and even economy versus premium economy versus business. I mean, you know, I've, I've had the, you know, the privilege of, of flying first class, you know, once. And I, I really don't, to be brutally honest, I don't see the $15,000 price tag difference between first and business and business and premium, you know. So we have these things called money rules and we decide, right, is if the trip's going to be more than 12 hours, which is probably my limit, then maybe we upgrade to the next level, you know? Believe it or not, it's premium economy is pretty bloody good these days. Yeah. You know, don't, don't, I don't, we'd rather spend our money on the other side than getting there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, getting back to what you're saying, it's about helping them actually define that and give them a target. Like, you know, there's a good saying, you know, you can't fire an arrow and call whatever it hits the target. <laughs> Right. So give them a target. So we, we actually sit with them in, in a coaching call and we go, right, where do you want to be? Right. And we've got this cool little spreadsheet called the ultimate wealth acceleration plan that actually we, which we hand to the people in our coaching calls and we actually help them define where they, where they want to be and then where they are. So, right. So once we've got those two points, we can then go, Hey, based on that, Rob, where you are now, where you want to be, go, here's the research. Here's the education that you need to actually decide what type of investment products or strategies or even experts that you'll need to define that. So you can go, right, here it is. This is where you want to be. Go, here's the, the steps to get you there. And it's a real, real simple process. Mm. Why do you, here's a little random podcasting question in that same vein, but why isn't that taught in school? It seems so logical. Look, it does. The bottom line is, and you know, I could, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, um, I, I don't like the term conspiracy theorist, right? <laughs> What I look at is I just look at the facts, right? And in the end of the day, governments can't handle everyone if they're all wealthy, right? Where's the control around that? Mm. And, and that, that's just, that's, if, if we're all free, how do, how do we get people to work, right? And in, in, the, in the, the way that they need it to be. Mm. So, you know, school's designed for you to work for 40, 50, 60 years, right? Plain and simple. They don't, they need most of the population to do that to be good little people. 
Mm. Right. And so that's probably the main reason why they don't. Right. And in fact, I was reading a couple of things the other day and it's actually, they're not allowed to teach this at school. Right. Right. So, you, and, and that's the part where we go, we should teach them. Even if we didn't go to the, the lengths of, you know, I know this sounds weird, but showing people how they can be financially free at 20, mm. right? But just gave them basic stuff like, you know, how to fill out a, a rental application, you know, what does a bank account look like? What are assets and liabilities? Right? Like mm. we need to know these things. So yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I love how you define it of, understanding where you are in relation to where you want to be and then just working backwards from there. That's really kind of sensible, practical and pragmatic. Recently, I've, my daughter is about to turn 13 and we've got her into some, we've got her an agent and some auditions and she's, she's about to start earning some money doing some acting work, right? So commercial television, movies, that type of thing. That's sort of the path that she wants to be on and kids are going to get paid money to do that. So we have to start having a conversation with her about making money. And it's not like going and working at Macca's flipping burgers because you know, you're only get you swapping your time for money there. There's only a few bucks there. There's only so much you can do with that. When she goes on to these auditions and she gets these jobs, there's chunks of change that come her way. You know, you like sure. her $2,000, $3,000, $5,000 for a 12, 13 year old kid. It's like, what the hell? You know, it's decent, right? For a little kid. So you have to help her to understand what to do with that. And um, recently, I've been teaching her the, the Robert Kiyosaki cash flow quadrant. So the, the ESB and I. So employee, self-employed, business owner, or investor. And if you don't know what that is and you're listening to this, please Google it and teach your kids this. And she was a little bit unaware of how you can make money in the world because she just sees her mum and dad, you know, that we're the nearest thing to her. So she doesn't really... It's like, oh, dad's this. And about three weeks ago, they had a, a thing in class, like, what does your mum and dad do? Well, my mum's a photographer and, and my dad's a podcaster. And the teacher's like, a what? <laughs> a, a what? <laughs> and she came home and was like giggling about it and laughing about it, you know, because her and I have a competition in social media. Well, how many downloads did you get, dad? How many video views have you got? And I tell her my numbers and she, she just kind of walks past me and like elbows me and says, I went viral again. I'm like, what? whatever. And I look at her phone, she's got 110,000 video views on some of her material and 60,000, 30,000, you know, 8,000 likes, 8,000, you know, like 150 comments on a video. So she's like developing a little bit of a profile for herself there. And as she builds that profile, that slots into her, to her acting and her desire to go and do acting because that all, that all helps when she's got a bit of an audience, it helps her with the auditions, et cetera. Yeah. But then you get right to the crux of it. What's the reason that you're doing it? Well, you love it. That's the first thing. That's what you want to do. But when you get the money to do it, you want to be responsible with it. So now she's kind of scratching her head going, well, I never really thought about that. And here's the chance for you to kind of think about that. And when you show her the cash flow quadrant, do you want to work for somebody and get paid 50 bucks an hour and work eight hours a day? Do you want to have other people working for you? And you've got 10 people that work for 50 bucks an hour, but they bring in revenue or do you want to take your money and send it forward to actually go and have some babies and bring you more money and straight up from the get-go she's like i definitely don't want to swap my time for money and i said but that's what you're doing as an actor and she's like yeah but i love that i love that and i said that's the thing there's nothing wrong with having a job having a job is a very very good thing it's a very empowering thing but the money you get from the job use that to go and send it forth and have some more babies and bring you some more money so you can keep doing what you love to do and you've got a choice in what it is that you love to do. And she's like, these little light bulbs going off in this little 12-year-old's mind are, are really, really cool to see. You must see light bulbs going off in your client's mind as well. Yeah, look, it's, it's interesting when, uh, you know, one of, the, one of our key principles has been around for years and it's a misquote, believe it or not, from Albert Einstein and it's about compound interest. And the, the misquote is it says, you know, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He actually mm -hmm. said compounding numbers is the eighth wonder of the world. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it, right? <laughs> and and we share this example of a $38,000 credit card. If you just pay the minimum off that credit card, it'll take you 141 years to pay <laughs> off. You'll pay $292,000 in fees and interest, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And then I show an example of investing $50,000 $50, at a similar interest rate, and within 25 years, you'll have $2.5 million. Mm. Right. So, so just having that, those, those are the aha moments that we like to be able to go, Hey, you know, our clients, when we have these the coaching call, they go, so what you're telling me is I can actually 
become financially free and don't have to work for 60 years, you know? Mm. And I think the biggest things that we hear is like, oh, you know, it's too late. It's never too late. No, never. Yeah. Never too late, you know? And, and even just good old stories like Colonel Sanders, you know, what he was yeah. 68 or something when he finally got KFC off the ground. Mm. It's never too late or, you know, I'm in too much debt. That's another, you know, myth that people think. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, we have to do something with that and pretty as fast as we can, but there are faster ways to do it than what the banks teach us. Mm. You know, I I love this saying that that we developed, you know, the banks have got us educated right where they want us. Right, love it. <laughs> they have. You yeah. know, you, you think about it. After pay now, you know, there's yeah. they, they, they've come up with this way about going. Hey, if people have maxed out all their personal loans, maxed out their credit cards, how else can we get them into more debt? You know, how can we control <laughs> them? Right, and it's a it's a case of going, guy. You know, get the turn your education around. Understand that there's a reason why the banks give you more credit for non-income producing assets. And yet when you want money to actually buy an income producing asset, it is almost sometimes impossible to get. Mm. You know? And, and that, that just does my head in. It's like, Mr. Bankman, wouldn't you rather me be spending money on something that's going to make me money mm. right? rather than giving me a 20 grand credit card and I didn't even ask for it? You know, start, start questioning the, the reasons why. You know? I find I I want I wanted to kind of expand on that and amplify that as well because the bank will give you money for a property so long as your LVR is right, your serviceability, blah blah, all of the if you tick all the boxes, the bank will give you the money for the property because they know if it's an investment that is, they know that that investment is going to produce income and that will go some way to helping repay the loan because the bank likes cash flow and the bank likes the cash flow to pay their interest first of all because that's how they make their money and ultimately you will pay that property off if that's what you trying to do, whether it's a sale or whether you own it over a period of time. But the bank won't give you money to go and buy bank shares. That's that's a that's a tricky thing. You know, if if I go and say, oh, to the Commonwealth Bank and I want to buy borrow fifty thousand dollars, well what are you going to do with it? I'm going to buy fifty grand worth of CBA shares. I'll just say, get out of here, you idiot. I'm not going to give you that. Yeah, so so they're actually not quite right. Maybe they will give you money on shares, just not yeah, on a margin, right? And higher interest rates and stuff. So yeah, it's interesting. I think what people, if they start to realize that banks make more money on emotions, yeah. right, than what they do on non-emotional investment stuff. And, and if you start bringing in emotions into investing, you're going you're gonna to get it wrong mm. more, more times than not. You know, I remember when we used to do a lot of property investing and helping our clients buy, you know, large property portfolios. The minute they started picking the colors and the tiles and the, the decor of the property, I was out. I was saying, guys, you're emotionally attached. Yeah. Can't help you anymore, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's an investment property. It's bland walls. Pick it. Here it is. Go. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Look at so, the numbers. It's the numbers. That's all there is to it. You know, keep it simple. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. I, I just want to tie off this little thread and, and move on from it, but I, I got a little segue for you that I, I shared with my daughter and it's the... Warren Buffett quote where he says, if you can't figure out how to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. And when I said that to my daughter, she was like, so I should make money when I sleep. And I'm like, drag her over to my computer at eight o'clock in the morning. Look how many sales have happened. Point at the emails, sale, 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 sale. And she said, so you make money when you sleep? And I said, well, I still got to deal with that. It's not you know, it's not passive income. I've still got to fulfill on the order and I've got to do that and I've got to make that happen. But that's a form of revenue that's happening online while we're watching the back of our eyelids and there's, there's revenue coming in. So I wanted to kind of use that as a segue and, and ask you uh, a series of kind of quick fire questions. If you like, this is not the hot seat by the way, but why is it that people don't take control of their finances? What, what do you hypothesize the reason is Oh, look, I think there's a number of reasons. I think one of the main ones is people think that the government's going to look after us in retirement. You know, I, I, I see that as probably one of the main reasons that that's been handed down to us. What do you, you mean? Know, like, a, like is in super and pensions and all those yeah, sorts of pension things? Pension is probably the biggest thing. They think that there's going to be this plan B, this pension there that, that'll look after them. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, a couple, it's 32 grand a year, a single, it's 21. Nothing. That you can't live on that, right? Mm. There's just no way you can live on that. So, and I, I think they just fear of getting it wrong, like fear of, you know, who to turn to, fear of leaving it too late. Mm. You know, that's the sort of stuff that I see. And, and look, we've personally got some things wrong, you know, like 
our accounting firm, our accountant that we hired to run that, you know, long story short, cost us a million dollars, right, to fix personally. You know, we could have closed the company down and left a bunch of clients in the lurch, but we went, no, we're going we're gonna to work through this, get these done and what have you. And, you know, while it wasn't fun to lose a million bucks, basically, you know, we were grateful for the, for the fact that we practice what we preach and we had a million bucks there to, to, to fix his mistake. You know, yeah. so don't be afraid to make mistakes, but just, you know, get the right education around it and learn this, this thing called money rules. That's probably the biggest thing that we talk about, about going, what are your money rules? You know, the biggest mistakes I see in, in businesses is we pour all our money back into the business. You know, you need to be taking money out and creating other streams of income. I'm guilty of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think one of the biggest books that I, I, it's a great little read, a parable, The Richest Man of Babylon. Yeah. You know, he talks about that 10%. Yeah. You know, we talk about the wealth account. You know, there's, there's so many ways that, you know, the biggest thing I hear is, oh, I don't have any money to invest. And I say, bullshit, you do. Mm. You know, you're just not committed or, or you don't want to change your current lifestyle, right, to actually just find that extra 10 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it may be. Well, that was my next question is, why is it that people don't think it's possible? And, and that's got to do with lifestyle factors, isn't it? And they're like, well, you know, if I put $10,000 in there and I get like a 5% return, meh. Why do you think people are like that about it? Just blase. Look, again, it could be just coming down because they don't know what they don't know. Mm. Right. And when we talk about some of the things that the returns we're getting, you know, they instantly, their flags go up and go, oh, well, you know, that's a, it must be a scam or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I'm going, mate, I've got 17 years proof, right? Mm. Now, like, and I'll give you an example of this one opportunity that we've had. It's 17 years old. It's paid 15% per annum year in, year out for 17 years. Thank you. Right. It's called the reverse credit card deal. Yeah, right. <laughs> Pretty much. You yeah. Know? I better just quickly say, you know, past performances don't guarantee payments. Yeah, yeah. Usual stuff. But at the end of the day, when you've done your due diligence and you understand how they're making money, mm-hmm. and you can, then you can understand why they can pay such a decent return. And I always ask the question, well, hang on a minute, guys. The banks made $10 billion last year, one bank alone, right? They can't do that on 5% mortgages, and they even can't do that on 20% credit cards. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're using their money much better. Like a lot of people don't realize, but every bank has to balance their books at the end of the day, right? Mm. And if you've got more money, you can lend it to another bank. So they balance their books. They charge 1% a night. 1%, that's 365% that they can make money when they've got cash, right? Yep. Yep. So you can't tell me that a 15% per annum return is a scam when the banks are making 360% on your money. <laughs> yeah. You just know how to do it, right? They know how to do it, right? Yeah. So understand that and, and get to realize that we're, we're living in an age where you get access to wealthy opportunities. You know, normally mm. people call it wealthy opportunities and it's just understanding that, man, it is such an incredible time to be alive. You know, just, just get educated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, that's beautifully, beautifully said because it kind of goes along the same lines of why don't think why don't people think that it's possible because immediately they think it's a scam, and I sort of feel like particularly in this podcasting world that I live in, it's a it's a funny parallel to draw. But you have two types of kind of people. You have and the neg- on the negative side, you have haters and you have naysayers, and the haters just hate on you and they don't produce anything, and the naysayers just tell you that they can't do it. But what I discovered was the reason that people say that they can't do it, and it's usually somebody close to you, is because they don't know how to do it. And what they're saying is, oh, that's a scam because I don't know how to do that. But the reality is, as you say, there's no better time to be alive and there's no more financial opportunities ever in human history than right now today. Oh, couldn't agree more. Like even those that are interested in learning how to trade shares, for example, right? You don't need to anymore. There are algorithms out there, right? Like the, the one we've got access to, an ex-hedge fund manager developed it. His mm. job on Wall Street was to design algorithms mm. right, to make money. Mm. Yeah? You know, you no longer have to learn how to trade Forex anymore. You know, there's either robots or there's ways that you can get professional traders to trade for you all while you being in control of your money. Yeah, some really great social trading platforms out there as well where you go and review, you know, this guy got this return, this person got that return and you're like, well, maybe I'll give them a couple hundred bucks and see what happens. And the returns come back to you really easy. What a great yeah. way to invest. 
Yeah, and look, the funny thing is, Rob, you don't need to bet the house on everything, right? Exactly. It's, yeah. It's probably investing's probably you know we're talking about the all in podcast, right? It's probably yeah. the only part where you don't go all in, right? Yeah, totally, one hundred percent. Yeah. Right, but having said that, you know, believe it or not, diversifying too far is also the almost the wrong thing to do as well. Mm. You know, I've got people who are multi-millionaires in property and then they want to start selling their sort of down selling their property and going into say shares or I'm going, well, hang, hang on a minute. You know, where did you make all your money? Don't, don't change your winning formula. Maybe just take some of the profits from your property and diversify slowly and, you know, a real safe way to do it. Yeah. Don't go all in. Don't look at that portfolio. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there's a, it's probably the only one, like even in business, you know, when we set up our businesses years ago, we pulled money out straight away and started diversifying into other income streams because, you know, that's what we believed in at the time and then started to teach, you know, and, and it's just, if you're a business owner out there, don't put every cent back into the business, just pull it, pull money out and start to build a wealth account, start to actually just start investing outside the business because, you know, it makes business actually a lot more fun when you've got other streams of income that are not relying on you and or relying on the business. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think there's really two for me personally, there's a couple of different ways to look at building wealth and it's from investment and from cash flow. And my partner and I had properties years ago and after the crash in 2008, we kind of liquidated, made some money, got out of that. And, and it's only ever been business since. And I, I think for me personally, my, I didn't really like being, we had a lot of money on paper from property. And, you know, looking back, you're kind of like, oh, damn, I wish I had held on to it. But, you know, I wish I had done a lot of different things in my life as well as you've got to kind of let that go because the portfolio would be very, very valuable now because just the huge boom we've had in Australia since. But the reality is we didn't. And the cash flow that we got from those properties at the time was poor. It was all capital growth and capital appreciation. So I think it's really important to work out for yourself. Like you're talking a couple of times, you said, what are your money rules for yourself? I think it's really important. Are you going to put some money and store some money in a property type investment to get that appreciation there over time? Or do you prefer cash flow? Would you prefer a combination of these things? And the reality is you need a couple of different streams like that. What would you say that if people weren't sure about that, how do they, how do they decide or how do they get there to, to know? Because you don't want to park a hundred grand in a property and then go, oh, the cash flow we get from it's not that great. But the capital appreciation is great. I'm rich on paper, but in reality, you know, can I borrow 50 bucks? Yeah. Look, it comes back to what we were saying earlier. Where are you now? Where do you want to be? Right. And that time frame in between. So if you've got 40, 50 years and, you know, build, so buying it, starting a property portfolio is actually not a bad idea. You know, we, we developed based on a thing called the wealth pyramid. And we talk about, you know, the types of asset classes within the wealth pyramid, the types of how long you hold it for and, and the returns. Right. And that was developed by a guy called uh, Harry Markowitz, who's a Nobel Peace Prize winning economist. Right. Yeah. Cool. And we've just used it to our language and tweaked it a bit. So when it comes down to it, it's like, what are you chasing? You know, and, and what's your time? Like we, we chase cash flow, right? Because we know that, you know, we've got a five year plan. Our youngest will be 19. She'll be midway through her gap year. And that's where we know that we're going to be more transient. We're going to be living in Spain and, you know, Hawaii and parts around the world that we love, you know, without having a, a full on solid base here in Sydney, you know? And the reason being is a lot of people, and this is some, think about an aha moment, right? When uh, a guy called Sam joined our community, he said, he turned around and he said, so Mark, you're telling me that I can live in, uh, around the world on what I've got now, not having to work. Rather than, rather than having to live in Melbourne. I went, yeah, mate. Mm. You know, so basically it took him six months just to get his all of the affairs in, in order. Now, I haven't seen him for a couple of years, right? Because he's been in Mexico and whatever. But he had the, he had already had the ability to become financially independent. He just didn't know that, you know, you can live in Mexico, parts of Mexico, parts of Bali for like a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars a month. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, recently my rent was that. <laughs> a week, a week right? <laughs> so, you know, when you start to realize that there are other ways to do it, cash flow, you know, mm. we, again, I don't like talking about returns, you know, because people freak out too much. But we've got one that's paid 5% a month, 60% per annum. Mm. Right? So that's, a, again, disclaimer, all that stuff, you know, mate, it's not always guaranteed in the future. It's been going like that for three years. So the, 
it, we've got the the qualities there from a, from an investment perspective. But if you just put a hundred grand in that, that's sixty thousand dollars a year. You could live anywhere in the world on that. Yeah. Right. So it's about just getting that that being open to realizing there are better ways to do it than what we're getting educated. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think. I, I just love that philosophy so much of where are you right now? Do that audit, take stock of where you are. And, and I'd go so far to say, you know, it's a generalization. I realize that, but most people have a reasonable idea of where they are but, and they kind of know where they want to go, but they don't really know what's possible. So they set the bar too low and, you know, in, inevitably people go, well, if I had a million dollars in the bank, I'd be, I'd be good. But the reality is if you're going expenses are anything like mine here in Sydney that are sort of six to $10,000 a month, by the time you pay for your life, your kids and all of the crap that you have in your lifestyle, you know, even if I dialed that back to half of it and said it was five grand a month and I'd be living in an okay, a modest lifestyle like that, then the reality is that million dollars in the bank ain't going to last very long. No, I can't, I just can't re- retire on that. You know, how much money do I really need to retire and to live. Well, you know, I'm only, I'm only young. I'm in my early forties. I've got another like 40 years of life ahead of me. I don't need 1 million. I need like, if I wanted to retire completely and never do anything else ever again, I'd probably need 20 or $30 million in the bank to live properly and to live a life of all the things that I could possibly want. And that, I think for people that seems like such an unachievable thing, but you've got to start where you are right now and you've got to start with what it is that you've got. And you've just got to make a, a beginning, right? Well, what definitely, I totally agree with that. You have to start. Yeah. And, and even if you're in debt, you've got to start. You can find the money. You can find 10 bucks. You can find 50 bucks and just get consistent in it. Yeah. I think that, the, but the part I want to go back to is, is who told us we need that sort of money to retire, right? Where's, yeah. where's that come from? It's, it's a myth. You know, when you start to understand what's truly out there, right? That's available right now for just the everyday mum and dads. You, you know, in reality, what would you, I, I think you could effectively almost retire with 50,000 bucks just mm. not here in Sydney. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> and, and you've got to quantify what type of life do you want to have. And I, we, we talk about, you know, what life do you want? Do you want an economy lifestyle? Do you want a premium economy lifestyle? Do you want a business class lifestyle? Do you want first class lifestyle? Now I can tell you right now, if you had a passive income of a couple hundred grand a year, that's almost just an economy lifestyle here in Sydney, but boy, that is first class in Bali. That is first class in Malaysia. Mm. Uh, you two hundred grand a year. You you would have the biggest house on the the island and twenty five staff. You'd live like a king, absolutely, king, right, or queen. And it's a, so it's about quantifying that that whole that future budget. You know, we call it your financial independence spending plan. What does your life look like? What do you want to do? You know, let's actually quantify it from an actual dollar perspective. Mm. that's the key to this because then you can go oh yeah that's achievable you know what i've found rob and when we do these coaching sessions is when people actually quantify what they want their life to look like they get surprised on how actually little it will cost them mm. <laughs> you know because not everyone wants first class so, yeah we've, we've and i like I, I actually like camping haven't done it for a while i'll, I'll admit that right but a lot of people go, mate, I just want to go fishing three times a year. And we go, well, what does that cost you? Oh, 700 bucks a week or whatever it is. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> and then we do the numbers and when, you know, their goal is to pay the mortgage off and all that. And I go, mate, you only need 50 grand to, to have a, your lifestyle. Like not my lifestyle, your lifestyle. Mm. And they go, what is that all? I go, yeah, mate, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get the part in place for you to get there now. Yeah, absolutely. And and nothing more important than beginning right now because I, I feel yeah. like it's the start that stops most people and don't let the start stop you. Just get on with it, do it, face it. If it's a little bit ugly and a bit uncomfortable, just face it, lean into it and, and move forward with it like that as well and decide, you know, do you want a, a million dollar lifestyle, a $20 million lifestyle? For me, I don't, I don't really know. Maybe I've got to do that a little bit as well. Yeah, look, just it's it's a it's a real simple process, right? Mm. And that that's the key. It's just going right, but you have to start, take action. Mm, beautifully said. Beautifully said. All right, when we when we're making these decisions, there were some really good things that you wrote in the pre-interview questionnaire that I sent to you, and I I want to ask you about these because I think they were just beautifully beautifully said. When we're making financial decisions and we're making investment decisions. If you're in a relationship with somebody and you're a man listening to this, you should probably do what, Mark? <laughs> uh, normally to do as you're told, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's part yeah. of it. 
happy life, all that stuff. But no, look, guys, it's I, I, I believe, and I, I got to be honest here, Rob. I can't remember what I wrote in here, so hopefully I'm on the right. Well, let, let me let me prompt you. You said listen to your missus, and you wrote something really beautiful in there. You said that from your perspective, I think that women have a superpower. They they have incredible intuition and gut instincts, and I was like, damn, that's the. I haven't read a truer statement in the last 12 months. That is so true. Yeah, and I wrote that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, now I remember that. Because my wife has had this amazing, uh, she can read people, right? And mm. whenever, and we we're chat, literally chatting about this again only the other day. And I said, you know, just speak up, babe. Like, you know, we, to use that superpower, speak up and, and let me know that you've got a gut feeling and what have you. But generally, the, the females do have a better gut feeling about something than us men. You know, quite often, we're just that gung-ho, you know, let's give it a go, crack, and, and that sort of stuff. But there is a balance between um, what I have found. And in, in generally, in a relationship, there's always one who's going to be driving the financial part more mm. than the other, right? And quite often, you know, when we say, hey, what's your biggest challenge in investing? You know, uh, having different risk profiles with my partner. Well, there's ways that you can overcome that, you know, because again, when you understand, say, the wealth pyramid, quite if, if you've got a partner that, that wants to be, you know, go a lot slower and grounded and, and that, that's great because the foundational assets are property, blue chip shares, you know, that sort of stuff. But it doesn't mean that you can't have the exciting stuff in like, you know, Forex trading and what have you. But at the end of the day, you know, listen to what your gut says more than, you know, what your head says because it's generally right. Mm. Where I believe the, the the gut gets confused is when they actually just don't know. You know, they can almost shut down and go, I don't understand that. So, it, no, we shouldn't do it. Mm. No, let it be open and go, hey, look, let's just learn a bit more before we then, you know, let the gut have more information to make that decision. Yeah, that's beautifully, beautifully articulated and, and well said. And, you know, for, for me personally, I've got great alignment with my partner. Um, I have these crazy harebrained ideas all the time. And sometimes I present them to her, you know, everything sales, right? Sell or be sold type thing. And I, I sometimes I present these things to her and she looks at me with high eyebrows like you're crazy. What, what could you possibly be thinking? But then in the same kind of, in the same conversation, she'll be like, well, if we don't give it a go, we're never going to know. And so long as you're not going to lose your shirt in the process. And if you think it's going to improve our lives, well, okay. And she's really pragmatic about things like that. And likewise, her, I think her investment profile to use your vernacular there is kind of really conservative. She loves property. She loves doing a reno. She loves those types of things like assets that you can touch and feel. And I'm more of the e-com online stuff and scalability, that type of thing. So it's a really nice balance of two completely different things that are happening there. But the alignment that we have is excellent. And it's a really forms a really integral part of a relationship, I feel, because that you don't you don't want to have conflict about about those things. And if you can get alignment about those things sooner rather than later, that can only be a good thing. I couldn't agree more. I do want to say though that if, you know, especially in that financial space, if one partner doesn't want to move ahead, take the lead. You know, start getting the results and, and they do come around. They do come around and say, oh, hang on, you know, how are you making us the money now? You know, what is, what's, what's the portfolio looking like and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's, and it's not about, you know, sort of going behind your partner's back. It's just, just be open and say, babe, I'm going to do this, right? Mm. I'm going to learn more about this because it's going to be better for us in the long run. And the more educated I am, the better decisions we'll be able to make or I'll make initially and then we'll make over the long term yeah i've done that a couple of times as well and then and kind of briefed her back in on what i've been doing and she sort of catches up to me and then is like oh now i see what you said i didn't see it at first but now i see what you're talking about and now you've got a better understanding so now i'm more on board we go for it sort of thing and yeah, yeah that that's beautifully said as well you got to develop those kind of things in your relationship because unless you work on those types of things they that it'll never crop up for you yeah, I couldn't agree more, mate. Absolutely. You you wrote one other really really awesome thing that you said to your your girls, to your daughters, that is about finances, and and you said that you never asked them to leave the room when you and your missus were talking about business or finance yeah. and stuff like that. And and you know, kids hear and see absolutely everything. There's just anyone with kids would know that. Know what I'm saying. And, you know, I, I will be having a conversation in the living room with my missus and my daughter will be eight meters away in her bedroom. And you just hear her in the background, are you guys talking about me? And I'm like, yeah. you hear that? She hears everything. So you got to be really careful, right? And I think 
most of us as parents know that. But you said something to that you said to your daughters, which was really great. And I'm and I'm going to use it with Danielle as well. So I'm going to I'm going to steal it. You said to question everything. Don't let the status quo that you see in front of you make your decisions. Make ask yeah. questions about that and question everything there. Can you can you comment on that for me? Yeah, look, it's and and it comes down to because that that you know our kids are so impressionable right and you've got to be careful as to who are they being impressed by right and it was just a few things coming from school every now and then and, and it was just a case of you know even when they were like eight or nine i go no nah, hang on a minute you go especially nowadays i mean we we grew up in the year of encyclopedias you know <laughs> and libraries so you know and we just got told to do as you're told right and, yeah. and, and whereas we, we we were like no go question it you know get on google go have a good look and then don't just take the first google one go go the opposite you know and uh, I think it really came to a head when when Hillary and, and Donald Trump were going at it, right? And and my girl's a, a real strong and independent woman, you know, and I love love that fact. But they'd come out and they'd have these just crazy facts about Donald Trump and, you know, why Hillary's going to be so much better and blah, blah, blah. And I'd, go, I'd literally go, hang on a minute. You know, I want you to do me a favor and go research the other side. Now, they, they ended up still being pro-Hillary, right? But at the end of the day, they got the fact that, you know, that there are three sides to the story, your side, my side, and the truth, right? <laughs> so it's about getting your quick ask, you know, question them. And, and the, the teachers get a little bit aggro, you know, because my girls are going, hey, I want to know more. I want to, you know, tell me, you know, this, that, and the other. Now, it's a bit frustrating sometimes as a parent because you want to go, just do as you're told, right? <laughs> why? And then because I go, why do we need to do that? Because I said. <laughs> You just stamp that authority every now and then. (laughs) It does backfire a little bit, but you know what? It's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully, beautifully said. And, and nothing, you know, if, if you say, well, look, you know, I've been getting 15% a month on these investments and someone goes, ah, that's a scam. Well, how about instead of going, well, that's a scam, have a little look-see and maybe you'll find that, you know, question yourself and just lower your guard a little bit. And maybe you will find that that actually is true. And maybe you will find that it will work out for you. So, Question everything as a uh, a good quote from this podcast. I, I like it a lot. Don't send your kids out of the room when you're having tough decisions in business, mm. in, in your finances or whatever. They need to learn that part. Mm. You know, that's the key. Mm. I've actually um, had Danielle help me with some of those hard decisions. She's like, what's wrong, Dad? I'll be sitting at my desk with my head in my hands and I'm like, what's wrong? And I, here's the problem. This is the problem that I've got. You know, and I'll show her a spreadsheet. I'm trying to match somebody for a podcast booking or something like that. And no matter what I do, I can't get them matched. And she's like, Dad, what about this one? Or what about that one? And I kind of share that with her a little bit. So she, and she's like, now I see why you're so stressed about it. Cause I can't work it out either. And I'm like, well, you know, we're not trying to solve cancer. It's not a big deal. Just kind of <laughs> let it go for a couple of hours and I'll come back to it with a calmer, calmer mindset. She's like, good idea, dad. You know, like, just- yeah have a cup of coffee you'll be okay so yeah absolutely it's good to you know you don't want you want your kids to still be kids and have a childhood and whatnot but you also want to let them see a little bit of you and emotion you know as well i think that's a good thing well, i say to my girls it's a long time being an adult you know very long time <laughs> the longest thing we do yeah hopefully <laughs> don't grow up too quick that's the idea yeah right? all right marcus we're nudging up against an hour here mate thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights it's been a hell of a lot of fun and it's been great to get to know you a little bit and learn some more about your philosophies in and around business i can't let you leave the podcast without putting you in the in the hot seat it's a couple of quick questions they're pretty random in no particular order the first one i've got for you is you've been lucky enough to travel the world and i've, I've heard you say a couple of different countries throughout this podcast there where's your favorite holiday destination uh, look, I'm going to say Japan at the moment because there's just so much there that I haven't explored, right? And and I love the the balance of Tokyo and then the rich culture within that city itself. And then you just go south a bit to Kyoto, and they're just a they're almost like this amazing culture that lives in the future, but they're trapped in the past and and all in between. So right now, I think you know, to me, my favorite is Tokyo. Very nice. Yeah. Well said. I was lucky enough to go to Japan in 1994 to Nagasaki of all places. Yep. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, I, yeah, I would echo that. What an incredible place. All right. Number two, do you have a, uh, a favorite author, YouTuber or podcaster? One of those three? 
Oh, mate, you're now my favourite podcaster. How's that? <laughs> but it's it's interesting. It's probably the one uh, segment that I actually don't listen to or, or utilise enough is the mm-hmm. podcasting. Personally, look, my my favourite author of all things is is Lee Child, right? I, I love that that sort of you know that that intrigue of you know CIA and and that because I, I I went through this period. In fact, I didn't read at school. Right. I, I, I handed in the, the same book report 10 times and I just happened to have a teacher that sort of literally didn't care. Right. And but he gave me different marks on all 10 times. It was weird. But anyway, so I didn't read for pleasure for till I think I was at least 24, 25. Oh, wow. I think it's the one thing that even in business, you know, we're constantly wanting to know the next thing. And, you know, that and, and you forget about just reading for the sake of just just enjoyment, you know, mm-hmm. so. I, I would go more on the that side of things than that, but look for uh, from a financial perspective, definitely have a good look at Robert Kiyosaki. Is so he's so grounding, and and our alignment is is very similar in in a, in a number of the the ideas and concepts that we have. Beautiful. That's where it all started for me with Robert Kiyosaki as well, and I think I connected that yeah. with the the Marine Army thing there that I connected with. So yeah, absolutely would echo that. He's got a lot of good YouTube stuff these days as well. If you haven't seen that, you should check that out as well. Yeah. It's really cool. All right. What's a, uh, what's a skill, mate, that you have not mastered yet? Look, I would have to say consistency. It would be the skill I haven't mastered yet, you know, and that, that could be in business, can be in, in my health as well. You know, I'll, at one stage, I was about 150 plus kilos. I got back down and, you know, I'm up a little bit, you know, down to 120. I just know that if, if, if we all bring consistency in, right, in every part of our, our lives, it, just, it becomes easier, mm. you know, at the end of the day. Well, the only consistency I've probably done is our investing side because we, we have it all on autopilot and, and that, and, and that allows it to do that compounding, you know. Well, consistent cash flow is probably better than consistent health. I'll take that over the health. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm polarizing the audience. I know, right? What do you do? Ah! I remember having this chat one guy one day, and uh, and he was he was fit as, and and uh, I remember whatever the conversation was, and I turned to him and said, "Oh, well, mate, that's probably why you've got a six pack, and I've got six companies." You know, like. (laughs) Hey, that's the quote for the podcast. I like that as well. All right, last one for the hot seat. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Best piece of business advice. I think it comes down to everything about don't sweat the small stuff, right? We, we get caught in that, that day-to-day, you know, everything's a, a, a stress, everything's a concern. I can't remember his bloody name now. Kehoe, John Kehoe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he basically said, don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And, and at the end of the day, that's probably the thing that we've done really well is, you know, we had 13 staff, we had million dollar turnover, and we just found that, you know, we actually now work from home where we can deliver far more value to our members and our, and our clients, and we're far happier. Like, we're the, we don't stress the small stuff anymore. Yeah, it doesn't get you anywhere. That's beautiful. Not really, no. Well, as we come to the end of the podcast here, Mark, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Look, uh, the, the best, I mean, we've got such a large name, the International Academy of Wealth. You know, you can go to our website, theinternationalacademyofwealth.com. Um, but more importantly, guys, I'd love to offer a gift if that's all right, Rob. They can go to, um, that's iawbook.com, and we'll give them a free copy of, of our latest book, The Sole Purpose of Wealth. And it, and it just breaks it down really simple for them to actually just go, you know, in, in, in a nice, nice, simple, plain English, so to speak, you're right? Mm-hmm. Because that's one of my skill sets is to break complex stuff down into nice, easy-to-use language. Beautifully said. And if you're listening to this podcast, just have a little peek at your phone and the links to Mark's website and to that free book are right there in the show notes. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll down and right there in the show notes, are going to be the links as well. Mark, thank you so much for that little giveaway, first of all. And thank you so much for coming on the Goal In podcast and sharing your story. I can't let you go without a parting shot or a parting comment. What do you got for us? Uh, well, look, parting shot comment is, guys, it, it is so easy to build wealth now, right? It really is. I, I have this saying, you know, making money is easy. Spending it is even easier, right? It's what we do with it whilst it's in our control will determine your, your ultimate outcome. Beautifully said. Thanks for thanks again for coming on the Gullion Podcast, mate. We really appreciate it. We look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. 
Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rob. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Mark, just take a peek at your phone and you'll see all of the links to his website and his socials right there so you don't have to go digging around in Google Forum. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll down and all of the links are right there in the description. And if you're on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and ring that bell. As always, if you've got a question or a comment or some feedback for the show, you can reach out via the Go All In socials or you can send me an email. Just visit goallin.com.au for more info. And if you've got a couple of moments and you like what you heard today, don't forget to share it around. And I'd really appreciate a review as that helps us out a whole boatload at the show here as well. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're doing, whatever you're working on, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time. There is a life I lead in this city Hurrying to cut my teeth I can take what I need to get by It doesn't make it easy The other piece of my heart moves slow Somewhere in the great unknown When I return from the afterglow Will you carry me like I am holy? Back where I belong I want it all I had a feeling But the feeling is all gone Wait, hold on Put me together Take me back where I belong I want it all I had a feeling But the feeling is all gone Take you back to my youth And show you what I wish I'd knew My will is strong with a place to lean In the moment I hung desperately The other ring of my wrist is gold Pairing with the light it holds When I return from my spinning ball I'm remembering the words you told Back where I belong I want it all I had a feeling But the feeling is all gone Wait, hold on Put me together Take me back where I belong I want it all I had a feeling But the feeling is all gone